स्मार्ट यू आर लिसनिंग टू अमिंट प्रोडक्शन प्रॉट यू बाई एच टी स्मार्ट कास्ट हेलो वेलकम टू वाई नॉट मिंट मनी आई एम सत्या सुंदानम फ्रॉम मिंट पर्सनल फाइनेंस टीम इन वन ऑफ अवर प्रीवियस एपिसोड वी हैव लर्न अबाउट द की मेट्रिक्स टू लुक एट बिफोर इन्वेस्टिंग इन रीड्स इन दिस एपिसोड लेट्स अंडरस्टैंड अबाउट ए सिमिलर इन्वेस्टमेंट प्रोडक्ट इन विट्स द इंफ्रास्ट्रक्चर इन्वेस्टमेंट ट्रस्ट Just like REITs pool in money and invest in commercial office spaces, Invits invest primarily in infrastructure assets. Invits can own and operate operational infrastructure assets such as highways, roads, pipelines, warehouses, power plants, etc. In India, there are 18 SEBI registered Invits, but not all are public and listed on the stock exchange. Only three are. Integrated Invit and Power Grid Invit invest in power transmission assets. while irb invit invests in a portfolio of road assets to collect tolls to tell us more about this investment product invit we have invited meghna pandit chief investment officer at indigrid invit let's invite her hi welcome to why not mint money a personal finance podcast where we help you understand basic money concepts and share strategies for you to build your wealth so let's get started on your money journey Hello Meghna hi welcome to why not mint money podcast thank you so much for joining us today thank you satya for inviting us pleasure to be here meghna let's start with the basics what is an invit and uh, what are the kinds of invits in india and how do they generate revenue great so you know i will uh, try and make it as simple as possible satya when we talk about invits which are essentially infrastructure investment trusts so they are basically yield platforms or business trusts uh, which are like a pooled investment vehicle i would say quite similar to a mutual fund so invits are set up as a trust uh, these are regulated by uh, by sebi but prima facie they invest operate and they manage real infrastructure assets like roads uh, transmission lines gas pipeline power generation projects as in renewable uh digital fiber telecom towers etc for example indigrid uh we are predominantly a power transmission invit along with a bit of diversification um uh, owning renewable generation assets also uh irb invit uh, is the other one which is a publicly listed invit which invests in road assets so basically any uh, long term revenue generating infrastructure assets uh, you know which follow a concession period uh, are owned by invits per se similarly idea is the cash flows which are generated by these invits are necessarily to be distributed back to the unit holders being set up as a trust the uh, the trusts are issue units and hence instead of shareholder the investors in these invits are called unit holders similarly as i said as per regulations when sebi follow certain regulations specifically for these publicly listed invits for example 80% of cash flows have to be from operational revenue generating projects under construction risk for example is limited or it is capped by sebi to not more than 10% of the aum that is the total assets under management certain other important uh, you know regulations are that every 6 months 90% of the free cash flows it is called ndcf or net uh, distributable cash flow in simplistic terms after meeting the 
uh, operational expenses and after meeting or after servicing the debt requirements whatever cash flows are remaining 90% of the free cash flows have to go back to the unit holders at least semi annually voluntarily invits depending on what business they are in and what kind of cash flows they generate uh, they can also increase the frequency for example integrate we distribute you know the cash flows on a quarterly basis in addition to this i would say there are certain other uh, regulations around which invits are also placed for example uh, there is a cap on the maximum leverage that an invit can have similarly beyond 25% of leverage necessarily unit holders approval needs to be taken uh, the the invit needs to be a aaa rated entity by the rating agencies within the country you know disclosure norms uh, around governance etc are much more stricter compared to a public or a private limited company so why, you know in the beginning you started talking about concession period for an invit so what is this concession period could you explain us is it similar to the average expiry uh, lease period for the reits so two things uh, here satya one is uh, if you look at infrastructure sector in the country in india the way it has evolved right and especially when private participation started if you know that all the infrastructure assets were owned by the government to start with whether it was on the road side where nhai owns owned these assets whether on the power side um it was you know the discoms uh, the transcos which essentially or pgcr which is again a government owned entity however when privatization started the way it started was wherein these assets or the rights to operate manage and own these assets was provided through concession agreements uh, now if you look at the airport sector the airport sector also when when airports are getting privatized there is a period for which it is given to the private uh, private players to op- to own and to operate these airports it could be right. 30 plus years roads typically have 30 years 25 years transmission assets like us in integrated uh they for example are for a period of 35 years but they are awarded on a boom basis that is build own operate manage they do, the assets don't go back uh, to the government or to uh, to the authorities at the end of the concession that is concession period in real estate if you look at now office or commercial real estate a lease agreement for example typically is for either 3 years or 5 years after which it gets renewed right in infrastructure assets being long term assets these are for a much longer period of time because the capex involvement is also to that extent much much longer understand it yeah so the difference i would say in reits and invits i would say is largely in terms of the underlying assets in invits the underlying assets are infrastructure assets understand understand so we have to uh, so we have to see what are the projects that are available for the invits and what kind of cash flows that the invits will have and what is the concession period as you mentioned to what extent uh, you know the cash flows can continue to the company uh, right these are the you know initial few things that we have to see at least we- the few ones yeah so concession period as such is you know uh, if somebody frequent with infrastructure projects per se yeah it's up to uh, you know what kind of life for example in integrated now the average life of the of all the assets so today our aum is about 21000 crores across 15 16 assets is close to about 30 odd years which means that there is a visibility and there is a stability and availability a long term cash flow or long term uh, period essentially means 
it provides much more visibility and comfort now another important feature i would like to mention here uh, satya is invits are formed as perpetual vehicles which means that these just because the construction period comes to an end does an invit come to an end not really because the invits will keep on their business essentially is to acquire assets manage and operate them right so the invits essential business will keep on like a going concern invits will continue to acquire projects operate and maintain them so even if let's say uh, comparatively invits are a new newer yield platforms in the country but let's say 30 years down the line um someone like an indigrid few of its projects the concession agreements would have been renewed few of them may not have been renewed for all you know there will be new projects however the invit remains perpetual the trust remains perpetual understand uh megna since you are saying that the concession agreement is long there is an expected cash flow for the company for a long period can an investor expect the distribution to him or her equivalent to the yield at the time of investment throughout the uh, tenure of the investment so the way to look at that satya is first of all invits this is not a guaranteed product right so we have given for example or any invit for that matter will provide a guidance that yes to this for this fiscal year we are giving 13.2 rupees current yield will depend on what is the price at which you have invested somebody may have invested at 120 somebody may have invested at 100 somebody may be coming right now at the market price of 140 so the current yield will change right the is what is to be expected what i can mention is invits provide for us for example and this will differ across various invits the reason for that it depends on the underlying asset that that invit owns for example if it is a road asset you know the way the investor will need to analyze it is if those road assets are toll road assets then it is subject to traffic risk tariff increase tariff risk or the toll rate increase it is subject to that whereas someone like an indigrid where we own transmission assets and most of our transmission assets are tbcb that is tariff based competitively bid assets we know what largely what is the revenue over the next 35 years so at least there is information available that yes this invit owns 15 assets this is the revenue stream and yes i can expect that let's say 13.2 will continue for a reasonable period of time beyond that the growth will depend on whether the invit is acquiring more assets how efficiently it is managing its capital how efficiently it is managing its cash flows understand if i have to reiterate your point you saying cash flows for a power transmission companies are relatively stable could you elaborate why yeah so basically as far as transmission assets are concerned and especially for indigrid we have most of our assets which are interstate transmission assets basically the revenue is or we get it basis availability right so our uh, for the transmission assets that our spvs own we get paid on an availability basis irrespective of the usage okay the other factor is yes from a, we we have annuity like cash flows or annuity like revenues the reason for that again is as i said one is we get paid on availability basis secondly we know what are the revenues at least significant part of the revenues for the next for the life of the concession period this is because when these assets were bid out tariff based competitively bid projects the way the developer bids for these projects is they bid tariff for the next 35 years 
so it is known even an invit like us when integrate acquires a transmission project from a seller when i value the asset i know what the large part of the revenues are going to be over the next 35 years so there is that visibility provided of course i am managing these assets well and i am able to provide maximum availability the second important part is again as far as counterparty risk is concerned comparatively it is much lower uh within the other sub sector in the infrastructure projects whether it is roads whether it is even within the power value chain generation projects or distribution projects the counterparty risk is comparatively much lower counterparty risk essentially is who am i getting the revenue from who is paying for the transmission charges now the users of these transmission projects are essentially uh discoms or generation companies who want to evacuate power by applying for open access because essentially what is transmission it is transmitting electricity at very high voltage levels 400 kv 765 kv from generation centers eventually to distribution centers correct now as far as these transmission charges are concerned with for the interstate transmission assets per se they come through a mechanism called point of connection mechanism simply put what happens is there is a central transmission utility sort of a collection agent which collects all the transmission charges from all the users of these transmission lines and proportionately distributes it to all the transmission service providers such as endigrade such as adani transmission such as pgcil so there is one pool from where the money is coming or so or the revenue is coming for all the transmission service providers because it is one pool and secondly because transmission charges form relatively a very small percentage of discoms distribution companies profit and loss the counterparty risk is minimal i am not taking a counterparty risk only on one discom right for example a generation company uh, based let's say in andhra pradesh which is providing power only to ap discom has a counterparty risk they want they will look at what is the credit risk of ap discom for a transmission provider like us we get it from that pool so to that extent the counterparty risk is much more minimal in fact you already answered my next question which is about uh, you know because we think that discoms are paying the power transmission companies and we see in the news that discom companies are uh, debt ridden companies with a lot of losses and uh, uh, debt on their books how will it impact the power transmission companies but you already answered that that the risk will be mitigated because it is actually uh, one of uh, the many players uh, you know which is getting payment through one centralized a uh, payment facility center which is ctu which is central terminal you correct correct plus you know there are many other payment security provisions also which are which are a part which are part of the transmission service agreement slash essentially the concession agreement uh megna if i have to reiterate the points that we have discussed so far so as you mentioned the first uh, it is very important to see what the invit underlying asset is so that is one and uh, secondly as you mentioned we have we also have to see how the cash flows are for the particular invit uh, so uh, so far we have discussed about two kinds of invits which we currently have in india the listed invits which is the power transmission invits and the road uh, toll collection uh, invits and when it comes to power transmission companies you've talked about uh, indigrid uh, where you've said uh, because a lot of connections or a lot of transmission lines are inter interstate transmission lines 
for this company the cash flows could be relatively stable um, yeah. because there is uh, you know for the so and so reasons that you have mentioned so far so so the second part is answered which is about how the cash flows are maintained for the company so now coming yeah. to the third part uh, megna which is about the capital appreciation so uh, again i would like to ask my question with an example Uh, mm-hmm. So say suppose um, you know I have invested in a invit today. Uh, for this particular invit, uh, say suppose at this point of time there is only one power transmission line, and it is going to expire in another ten years. So if I invest some money today, so mm-hmm. yes, I will get uh, say the uh, cash flows for the company are very stable. There is there is no uh, big uh, you know maintenance cost or something like that. The cash flows have been same, and also my the distribution from the company to me as an investor have been retained uh, stable. But what happens to me after the ten years? Uh, because uh, you know the underlying asset <laughs> for a power transmission uh, invit. Uh, like yours is you know the existing assets depreciate right so the existing uh, after 10 the existing va- uh, the, the value of the existing asset after 10 years may become zero so for me as an investor what happens after that 10 years yeah so um, good question satya i will answer it uh, in two in two three ways one is the scenario that you are talking about wherein uh, an invit owns only let's say one asset and after 10 years um it's going to end then at then theoretically at the end of the 10th year whatever free cash flows are available in that particular invit will be distributed however what is important to notice as i mentioned at the beginning invits are perpetual vehicles okay so invits necessarily will keep on acquiring projects uh and try and try and see how the distribution per unit can be increased now and that is the basis based on which invits are also formed correct idea is to acquire and operate infrastructure projects and just keep distributing the cash flows these are yield platforms okay whether a particular now when i say individual invits will need to be assessed in this case the reason for that is how is a particular invit managed in terms of its strategies in terms of let's say uh, what kind of investors what kind of patient capital is backing that particular invit the other is what kind of balance sheet does that invit specifically have for example a strong balance sheet with you know uh, with reasonable debt equity ratios uh, healthy ratios for that matter availability of capital from uh, its unit holders let, let's say the invit goes for a rights issuance then whether there is enough appetite the track record that that invit has built in terms of how has it managed its assets the underlying business of the sector growth in itself for example transmission sector we are witnessing significant growth in the transmission sector because we have seen now there is a lot of growth which has happened on the generation side there is a lot of renewable capacity which has come up which now requires enough transmission capacity for evacuation purpose so we are now seeing significant bidding happening in the transmission sector so basically the invit need will essentially grow by adding on assets by acquiring assets which can provide growth in the distribution to the unit holder correct so understand the whole idea invits as as yield platforms or vehicles need to add assets and provide uh you know provide growth in the distribution 
coming to when you said capital appreciation being a listed entity obviously it is um depending on the demand supply how robust that platform is it will determine how the price is playing like for any other equity company understand you know there is another question here because you said in the beginning that 90% of the cash flows for an invit has to be distributed to the unit holders right so mm-hmm. there'll be only a you know very small amount that will be left with the company after meeting all the expenses so um, so how will the invit purchase new assets is it using the leverage option that it has and if so yeah. do you uh, um, is it important to see at what uh, interest rate that the loan is being borrowed by the company is is invit more uh, susceptible to the interest rates movement in the economy sure uh, so two three questions there satya one uh, let me answer the first one which is <clears throat> how will the invit acquire assets so it is a combination of equity and debt invits raise uh you know money when it gets listed through ipo that money is utilized that is basically equity through rights issuance through preferential allotment or a qip so all these modes of raising equity capital are available now with invits plus of course debt i also mentioned that uh, there is a leverage uh, cap which is available for invits like for indigrid our leverage cap is 70% we are a triple a rated invit with a 70% leverage cap and today our leverage is at around 56% which means i have a headroom debt headroom available to increase from 56 to up to let's say 70 which will enable me to acquire assets in simplistic terms what it means is i can by raising debt acquire assets worth at least 5 6000 crores without having the need to dilute Now let's assume I have acquired assets worth six thousand crores, and I am at a sixty-seven, sixty-eight percent indebted to leverage, uh, the leverage cap, leverage ratio. Right. Then I will get an equity dilution from the capital market, and that is how exactly. I will fund uh, and utilize it for acquiring. And there is, of course, that ten percent um, internal accrual, which is anyways available. But it is a combination of debt and equity, which will be utilized to acquire the assets. coming to your second question of interest rates yes um <clears throat> the rate at which invits are raising debt of course then becomes material however again this depends on how efficiently is that particular invit able to raise debt now we for example at indigrid being a triple a rated entity and with stable assets that we have over the last 5 years we have looked at uh diversifying the sources from which we are raising debt more importantly we go for fixed rate interest uh, fixed rate debt that we are raising rather than going for floating rate and exposing ourselves to refinancing risk so the way we are trying to raise debt in the market and we have done that is go for fixed rate interest and for longer duration so our because our transmission assets the concession period is 35 years we can go for much more longer maturity of the debt that we are raising so that the refinancing risk is minimized to that extent so that depends on so essentially to what extent a particular invit is exposed to the interest rate cycle is again invit specific i understand 
and uh, how will i as an investor know that the uh, invit is adding more newer assets to its portfolio what metric can i uh, see to understand that so more than a metric satya every acquisition now if you look at it integrated over the last 5 years as i mentioned we have been providing uh, the growth in distribution to the extent of 3 and a half to 4% and the way we have been able to do that is on the back of value accretive acquisitions that we have done over the last 3 4 years uh, <clears throat> so and every acquisition also i would say is dependent on the capital market cycle so point i'm trying to say is it is not necessary that any every invit needs to acquire every year or every quarter that is not how it is however any acquisition that an invit is doing how value accretive is it what is the kind of dpu accretion distribution accretion that that particular acquisition is lending is an important uh, you know i would say sort of a metric there isn't one ratio which will show that you know this invit specifically from an acquisition perspective is making sense but over a period of time how has uh, how has the dpu grown on the you know it has grown on the back of how in uh, what kind of acquisitions that that invit has specifically looked at provides directional view uh, of how that invit can perform and whether that invit is capable of acquiring more whether the industry in which it is operating will enable it to acquire more assets going forward understand so can we say that the reits the biggest differentiating factor between reits and invits is that reits has you know the existing invits which are appreciating in nature but for invits it is depreciating in nature can, is this one of the big differences between reits and invits you know theoretically i would say yes but practically if you look at it now you said land value of that particular reit but for that land value to get uh you you know to to see that land value is it that that land will be sold if you look at the reits most of those most of the reits have underlying commercial real estate office space is the uh is the is the asset per se which is forming part of the reit yeah so the land value which is uh, which is appreciating will it actually get realized not really however what happens is <clears throat> it for for a reit for example it depends upon certain things in what kind of rental growth can that particular reit provide what kind of occupancy levels uh, will that reit will the will that specific commercial real estate property provide the capital appreciation i would say sort of is assumed in in real estate which may not get realized as far as invits are concerned yes the underlying assets infrastructure assets are depreciating in nature but as i said invits are perpetual vehicles so a particular invit let's say which has a track record of 10 years and which has been acquiring assets over a period of time can provide similar capital appreciation right it depends on what is that underlying business uh, specifically that that invit has and strictly speaking you know comparing a reit and an invit in the same bracket may not be the right uh, right way because the underlying governing factors for invits and reits or those specific assets are very different understand uh so when it comes to the taxation part uh you know of yeah. invits and its returns uh so could you also tell how the returns from the uh invits are taxed 
Sure. So, you know, uh, it will be very, again, specific uh, to that particular invite, but I can, I will explain generally uh, the nature in which the distributions by the invites are done are more or less around three, four items. One is interest, second is dividend and third is capital repayment. And I will just throw some light on why uh, these are, you know, how these are essentially determined. As per the regulations, any uh, the nature and the form in which an invit receives the cash flows from its underlying uh, assets, the same form and nature of that cash flow needs to be maintained when it is distributed back to the unit holders. So if the invit, for example, is upstreaming the cash flows from its underlying assets in the form of interest, it goes back to the unit holders in the form of interest. If there is a particular SPV which is upstreaming it upstreaming the cash flows in the form of dividend then the invit will distribute it back to the unit holders in the form of dividend so largely these and anything which is uh, any debt repayment that the underlying uh, spv does to the invit is distributed back in the form of capital repayment however the nature and form can be anything ultimately it is distribution return in the hands of the investor Coming to the taxation part, uh, generally, uh, and depending on the kind of the investor, if it is an institutional investor, then the interest uh, can be tax-free in the hands of the investor. If it is a retail investor, typically interest is taxed depending on the marginal tax rate that that investor has. Dividends, depending on whether the particular SPV, uh, if it is, let's say, following um, new tax regime, then the dividends get taxable in the hands of the investor. If that particular SP is following old tax regime, then it doesn't get distributed or doesn't get uh, taxed in the hands of the investor. Capital repayment typically goes towards reducing the cost of investment in the books of the investor. So again, but that depends on how that particular invit slash REIT is distributing it and uh, disclosing it. So I would say that taxation depends on the nature of the investor. Uh, the mar the the you know the nature in which that investor is receiving the distributing or distribution and ultimately the marginal tax rate that that investor is facing. That's all from our side, Meghna. Thank you so much for joining us today and thank you so much for decoding this very complex subject into a very easily digestible format for me and also for my listeners. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you, Satya. Uh, it was a pleasure uh, interacting with you. Thanks so much. That's all for now in this episode, listeners. If you have any queries or suggestions, you can reach out to me on Twitter. My handle is at Satya Sontanam. S-A-T-Y-A-S-O-N-T-A-N-A-M. Or you can also write to us at mintmoney at livemint.com. Bye-bye. This was a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.